This is an ABC podcast. Countrywide on ABC Radio. Ultimately, we have animals in society because they turn food that we can't eat into food that we can. Now when I pick up a carrot, it's not just an ordinary carrot. Countrywide. 30,000 tonnes a week, something like that. Uh, That doesn't even cover the issue of broadband. Climb down off your ivory tower in Canberra. You've never set foot on a farm. Countrywide. The politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. Hello, welcome to Countrywide, the program where we talk about some of the biggest stories making news in the rural sector. My name is Annie Brown, broadcasting to you from our Wodonga studio near the banks of the Murray River, home to the Wiradjuri, Waveru and Dadaroa people. Hope you're well, wherever you find yourself today. Now, a lumpy skin disease detection has rattled the cattle industry in Australia's north this week. The Indonesian government has suspended imports of live cattle from four Australian export facilities. Lumpy skin disease is a serious disease of of cattle and buffalo, and it has been present in Indonesia for a year now. Uh, In testing cattle that on arrival in their post-entry quarantine facilities, they found that a number of Australian cattle are infected. We will unpack that story and bring you all the details. Also, I'll take you to the Riverina in New South Wales, where wine producers are having an incredibly tough year. And what impact does pop star Taylor Swift playing concerts in Melbourne in February have on the Australian Dairy Conference? It's a great question, isn't it? Well, it seems like Melbourne isn't really big enough for the two of them. We swiftly moved the date so that it wasn't going to be uh, troublesome for our last night and our last day. So, Yeah, a funny story there. And also the power of Taylor Swift as well. Also, if you are a James Blundell fan, he has rewritten an Australian classic in the name of Road Safety. We'll have a listen to that as well today. And so, so much more. From the paddock to the plate, countrywide on ABC Radio. First up, though, the Indonesian government has suspended imports of live cattle from four Australian export facilities following the detection of the virus lumpy skin disease in livestock shipped from Australia. Now, lumpy skin disease, for those not familiar, is a disease found in cattle and buffalo. And an outbreak was detected in Indonesia in March 2022. The disease has never been detected in Australia, but has raised major biosecurity concerns among the industry who fear the damage it would cause if it ever did reach Australia. Now, it's understood the cattle which were detected with lumpy skin disease came from one facility in Queensland, another in Western Australia and two from the Northern Territory. Dr Mark Shipp is Australia's chief vet and he says Australian and Indonesian authorities are working together to investigate how the infections occurred. Lumpy skin disease is a serious disease of of cattle and buffalo, and it has been present in Indonesia for a year now. Uh, In testing cattle that on arrival in their post-entry quarantine facilities, they found that a number of Australian cattle are infected and are investigating why those those cattle are infected, and we're working with them on that investigation. Do you know roughly Uh, how many cattle have tested positive? Uh, so they, they test uh, uh, 5 to 10% of uh, each of the consignments that arrive and out of that uh, a, a dozen or so cattle have tested positive uh, to date across uh, northern Australia and uh, we're working to identify the reasons for those infections given that Australia is free of lumpy skin disease. 
Okay. Um, so the issue here is where this infection may have occurred, whether it occurred in Australia or it occurred in Indonesia, where, where the cattle were actually infected. Are you able to establish that at the moment? As I say, uh, Australia is free of lumpy skin disease and we're working to identify when, when those uh, cattle and where those cattle became infected. It may have been uh, during the voyage uh, between Australia and uh, Indonesia, uh, the, the virus is carried by insects, biting insects. It could have been after they arrived in Indonesia um, and were placed into uh, quarantine facilities and uh, feedlots. In some cases, the, these cattle were vaccinated after they arrived and then tested after the vaccination. So there are a number of points where these cattle could have been exposed to lumpy skin disease, and that's what we're trying to ascertain. Because the Indonesians are, are, are sort of, well, saying that it might have been here that they were infected. I know you're saying we're free of that, that skin disease. How long have we been free of that disease for? Is there any way it could have come back into Australia? That, that disease has never been reported in Australia. Uh, we undertake uh, regular surveillance uh, across northern Australia through the Northern Australian Quarantine Strategy. Uh, we inspect all of our cattle that are exported. Uh, we have uh, veterinary supervision of those loadings and any suspect cattle are, are sampled. And we've never detected lumpy skin disease in Australia. The cattle that have tested positive, do you know where they've come from in Australia? Uh, they've come from the three northern jurisdictions, uh, from Western Australia, Northern Territory and Queensland. For, for uh, facilities that they were yarded in across uh, those uh, three jurisdictions and it's those four uh, yeah, uh, export yards that have been suspended by Indonesia until we conclude this investigation. That's Dr Mark Ship. He's Australia's chief vet, speaking with Nadia Mitsalopoulos. Now, it's been a nervous week for Northern Australia's cattle industry following this news, and the president of the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association, David Connolly, has travelled to Canberra to meet with Australia's chief vet and those working behind the scenes on the situation. He told Matt Brand that a dossier is being prepared and hundreds of top-end cattle are being tested. The government authorities, Commonwealth authorities, have, have got themselves in a position where they're testing cattle. That's moving very quickly. Um, they've been talking to registered establishments and testing cattle out of the out of the registered establishments and testing cattle that have been associated um, with those stock movements to try and come up with a dossier of files to um, and tests and information to share with our Indonesian colleagues so that they can, you know, understand our side of the um, our side of the ditch to, to make sure that um, they're settled that we haven't got lumpy skin disease over here and that we're not sending it back to them. Have you got a sense on when that dossier will be completed and, and handed over? Um, I have, it, but it won't be quickly. It, it will probably be within the next couple of weeks because it's more than just putting together a dossier of, um, of, of cattle testing results. It's going to be about movements and, uh, of cattle as well. So um, I think a couple of weeks. And certainly we wouldn't want our, our Commonwealth Government authorities to send a dossier over that was half completed. We want all the information to go over to to the Indonesian government so that they can understand the movements and, and have a clear picture of what, what goes on here. Are cattle getting tested outside of those four export facilities that are currently banned from sending cattle to Indonesia? Well, they're not banned, Matt. They're suspended. Suspended. From the, yeah, suspended and um, just, just from movements to Indonesia. And there's no cattle that are banned from moving to Indonesia as long as they've come from, from premises uh, registered premises outside those four. So, yeah, there, there will be a testing regime of, of cattle 
because that gives an even more solid picture saying, you know, the cattle in the registered premises haven't been, uh, uh, haven't, haven't acquired this disease and, and cattle from the properties that went into those registered premises haven't got the disease either. So it just gives a very solid foundation, um, gives, a, gives a really good solid body of evidence that, that the disease is not in Australia. So over the next couple of weeks, as this evidence is compiled, what does the trade to Indonesia look like, do you think? It still continues, but it can't continue out of those premises that Indonesia have, have halted the movements from. But the trade to Indonesia can still, will, will still and can still operate through uh, other registered premises. Um, there's some difficulties because, um, <clears throat> of course, there's difficulties within all those with all those things I'm saying that have to be worked around, like, for instance, the registered premises in uh, in Queensland at this stage is the only registered premises that can send cattle to Indonesia. So we have to make... Uh, we have to work with authorities very quickly to make sure that we can we can continue to send cattle, maybe even ask for an accreditation on another premises. The difficulty there is that Australia doesn't register the premises for Indonesia. Indonesia does. So it's all about talking with talking within market and um, assuring that we can continue that trade uh, and make it best for our you know make it best for our cattlemen so they can still get the cattle to where they need to go. And in the territory where you're from. Two facilities have been suspended, meaning there's, there's four still left that can send cattle to Indonesia. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. As a cattle producer, how are you feeling at the moment? Oh, I feel, um, you know, I just feel that it's unfortunate if a, a partner, if a marketing partner, a receiving partner of our livestock, whether it be beef boxes or live cattle, if they've got some concerns in market, then that's unfortunate, but you have to meet those concerns. I mean, if if um, Indonesian authorities said these cattle have got lumpy skin and they've just come from Australia, <clears throat> well, what would Australians do if the shoe was on the other foot? So it's unfortunate, but um, the concerns have to be met. We have to show them with the science that, that uh, the, the country's still free of this disease and that our protocols and our systems and our regulations are all in place to um, to ensure that we we don't get the disease coming in and that we have, we're not sending out any cattle that, that aren't required to go to, to those markets. That is the president of the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association, David Connolly, speaking to ABC's Matt Brand there. And you can keep updated on the lumpy skin disease detection and read more online at abc.net.au forward slash news forward slash rural. Let's move on now and talk about another animal, deer, because more and more deer are being spotted coming closer into cities and suburbia in recent months. And as it turns out, feral deer are costing Australia about $90 million a year in damages, and farmers are the worst affected. The number comes from a report by the Centre for Invasive Species Solutions. This is the first time the costs have been added up. Deers cost farmers around $70 million, and another $17 million is spent on research, and damage to cars and trains is also costing $4 million. Annalise Wiebman from the centre told David Clawton more about the impacts. Probably beef and sheep, or livestock in general, account for about half of the losses, and this is because Deer love pasture. They're, many of them particularly like to hang out on the interface between the bush and the pasture and they hide in the bush during the day and then come out into the pasture. And so when they're competing with livestock, it makes it really tough for some farmers to nurture that pasture or even rotate their, their, their um, livestock between paddocks when the deer are hammering them. So um, livestock 
is, is probably the biggest. However, other industries such as forestry, horticulture, cropping, viticulture also get impacted. What and, damage uh, do they do in forests? Um, it's mostly the young saplings. I mean, deer can stri- uh, ring bark trees. They rub their antlers against the bark and can r- for a long time until they really damage the trees. And they tend to pick specific trees that they really like. Um, but it's the saplings that are probably the hardest hit, the little young ones that deer browse or they just snap off the little shoots. Um, and you're, and you're in South Australia. There's, there's quite a, a problem there in the, in the wine industry, I think, isn't there? Yeah, so deer do like new shoots from vines as well. And when those new shoots are coming on at the start of the season, to have them nipped off by um, by a, a grazing herbivore like a deer is really devastating because you're you're just damaging the the vine and preventing fruit from setting. And so I know quite a few um, people with vines that have actually just fenced their whole area because the, the, the impacts are just too great for them to bear. The other issue that you've quantified is the accidents with cars and also accidents with trains. Tell us about the, the train stuff, and because and, the Illawarra in New South Wales, that's a hot spot for train accidents, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think wherever we have deer and growing populations of people, we're going to have more, I guess, near, near misses and problems with vehicles and trains. Like anything, if a deer collides with a train or a vehicle, that can do great damage. But it Does it stop a train? It can, yes, and you can have delays. So, you know, time is money, I guess, with um, trains and everybody expects to be able to get on their train on time. And so when there's too many of those delays, it does cost the industry. So you counted 30 incidents with trains in one year. Is that right, 2021? Yes, but I'm sure that there are many more across Australia, uh, many more train systems where those numbers are not being counted. So I think it's an underestimate. Car accidents, I guess, like trains, sometimes they're reported and sometimes they're not. But I certainly hear near misses or car accidents from many different peri-urban areas around New South Wales and Australia uh, every week. Often people say, oh, I nearly hit a deer the other day when I was travelling here or there. Yes, deer are moving into these peri-urban areas and I guess our suburbs are spreading as well. And so the, the interaction between deer and people is definitely increasing. I think people, you know, we need to be aware of them. We need to be careful when we're driving on roads and in urban areas as well, I guess, definitely don't feed them. You counted 300 car accidents, is that right, in that year? I'm sure that the numbers are greater than that, uh, yeah, because in some states the, the data is just not collected in the same way as it is in others. But, yeah, the numbers are pretty high. And are they trending upwards? Yeah, and I think that's just because of our growing human cities, human populations and cities, as well as the, the, the growing numbers of deer into these and, and spreading into, into areas as well. That's Annalise Weedman from the Centre for Invasive Species Solutions there. Now let's head to the Riverina in New South Wales, where sadly wine producers haven't had a lot to cheers about. Grape prices are so low this vintage, some growers won't be harvesting. Wineries are saying that there is little demand for red varieties and they will be imposing caps on the volumes they'll be taking as well. Managing Director for Debatoli Wines, Darren Debatoli, told Emily Dorick the oversupplying is hurting the industry in the bulk wine producing regions like the Riverina. Now that, this is an international trend, so the demand is just decreasing. Also, there is a bit of a swing against 
Australian red wines in markets like the US. We've also got sort of COVID-related supply chain issues, which created a very large overhang of um, red wine stock in the industry. And the Chinese ban is obviously impacting the industry pretty badly when you consider that red wines generally are sort of declining. And even in China, wine generally was declining. You know, the, the headwinds are quite significant for the industry going into, into next vintage. What about locally, though, in the Riverina region, which is one of those, I suppose, large production areas? What's all of that translating to in terms of likely prices and likely demand for stock from a a winemaking perspective? Well, I think the demand and prices are are going to be dropping with with red wine demand. and We're already seeing it. And uh, now we're already informing our growers that you now prices will be, you know, will be somewhat um, lower again, and uh, some growers have already expressed the that they won't be producing, and you know, that's a, that's a reaction that you know, the industry requires and expects. Along with lower prices, some wineries are flagging the introduction of caps for red varieties, which would limit the amount of fruit they'll accept per hectare. In response, growers are making some tough decisions about vineyard management pushing out vines or cutting costs on things like fertiliser and irrigation. Yender producer John Strano is pruning at the moment and he's trying not to spend too much money on his red varieties. Well, we've already decided that the reds will only be mechanically pruned and there won't be any cleaning up afterwards. The whites will be mechanically pruned and then cleaned up afterwards because at the moment the whites are still worth something. So what's prompted your decision, particularly with those red varieties, I suppose, not to invest in uh, putting people on to clean up after the mechanical pruning? Oh, look, at the, at the moment, what they're talking about in price and with cap and possibly caps, it just doesn't justify. You can't make enough money out of an acre of grapes at those prices they're talking about. So what's the talk? Somewhere about 150 with a cap. It all depending on the yield of uh, what's coming this coming season, if it's going to be a, a decent yield, it looks like there will be caps. So if you're just mechanical pruning and not tidying up by hand, what does that mean in terms of the health of the vine and, and production? going to um, affect it because what you're doing is you're leaving stuff that isn't cut hanging, so it's got six or seven buds or even longer. You're, you're not putting fertiliser in because that, that costs a lot of money to put in. And you've got to look at it too in a way that you've got to water these vines and we've got a 25% increase in our in our power costs. So it's a it's a one after the other input cost increase continuously and we just can't absorb them anymore. So this is it. You look at the budget and you go, right, I'm going to invest in my whites because they're bringing a better return for me. Correct. That's right. And you sort of save as much as you can on your reds. So you said you've been growing wine grapes all your life. When you look out across the vineyards here, what do you see for the the future of production? Oh, look, we're going to have to go. We're going to have to change. We can't uh, keep growing grapes at the prices they're at. We're going to have to go back to the seventies and sixties and probably late eighties or early eighties, where we had a fruit salad, where we had some grapes, prunes, vegetables, and seed crops. We want to stay in farming. We either we change, either we change, or we we have to get out. Don't get me wrong. Look, we like what we do, but we've got to be rewarded for what we do. We just can't keep doing it for love anymore. Yenda, grape grower John Strano, ending that report. Now, a bit of a funny story here, because the biggest conference for dairy farmers in Australia has had to move because of one of the biggest pop stars in the world. 
Superstar Taylor Swift has forced the Australian Dairy Conference to move its dates. Warwick Long spoke to Chair of the Organising Committee, Michael Rood, about the importance of the conference to the dairy industry. I have this thing where I get older but just never wiser. Probably the biggest on the calendar um, and I would describe it as well, the meeting of the minds, really. It's where you get access to everyone from the industry, the people that you want to talk to. This conference is pivotal no matter where you're at in the industry and no matter where you're at in business because it, it's one of those ones that makes you lift your thinking above your day-to-day and look to the future, look to, to get around challenges that you might be facing that other people have already faced. Um, but not only that, it, it can be exciting time to look for the future of what could be coming to change and revolutionise our industry for the better. Tell us the mechanics of the conference too, because it moves around every year, doesn't it? Yeah. So every second year we're at Melbourne, which is what's happening for 24. So that's that's really great that we get to do that. Um, this year's conference was in uh, Hobart and that was a, a screaming success. Uh, so that's awesome. And we hope to continue that kind of success for Melbourne 24. And tell us about the planning for this year, because it's it's run into a problem, hasn't it? It's me. <laughs> well, it wasn't a problem until probably the major uh, pop artist of our time decided to crash it on the last night. <laughs> and with Taylor Swift in town, uh, can is it too crowded for a group of dairy farmers as well? It is. We swiftly moved the date so that it wasn't going to be uh, troublesome for our last night and our last day. So um, we were able to get that achieved, which was fantastic. Taylor can have the mania of Melbourne and will stick to being dairy focused. And it also means that the dairy farmers that do want to do both can actually make that happen as well. Will there be many dairy farmers heading to a Taylor Swift concert, do you think? I reckon there'd be a few that'd bop out to a Taylor Swift song when it comes on the radio. Why does a Taylor Swift concert in Melbourne mean that the dairy conference has to move? Can you explain that? Yeah, look, it didn't have to move. It just meant with, obviously, uh, Taylor has the the huge following, cult following that she does. Every city has experienced a major influx of people, sold out concerts. Um, It simply means logistically on our last night, it's going to be harder for people to get accommodation. It's going to be more expensive. Um, The amount of people in Melbourne will be a lot more as well. So people trying to get back out of the city, you know, all of those kind of things. uh, It's just easier that we're not there at the same time. So you've moved the conference earlier in, and then there's room in Melbourne for dairy farmers and Taylor Swift fans. Correct. Which is a win-win for everyone, I think. Everything has changed. Taylor Swift ending that story from Warwick Long after forcing the Australian Dairy Conference to move. You also heard from organiser Michael Rood there. There's definitely probably a crossover there of dairy farmers and Taylor Swift fans, I'm sure. 
Now let's stick with stories where music meets uh, the rural sector because an Australian classic country song has also had a rewrite recently and it's all in the aid of helping to drive home an important road safety message about sharing the road with trucks. Selena Green has the story. It's an Aussie classic, just perfect for a sing-along. Quit my job and I left my wife Headed out west for a brand new life Just to get away Living and working on the land It's been more than 30 years since James Rain and James Blundell teamed up to release their version of Way Out West. But now James Blundell has re-recorded a version of the song to include an important road safety message. As a farmer and heavy vehicle operator himself, he's based in Queensland, he's seen his fair share of close calls. So he's teamed up with the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator for its We All Need Space road campaign. I've driven my entire life in Queensland in the middle of last century, which is when I got my licence a little late. But uh, it was a simple process. And quite often we'd drive into town, attend your driver's licence and drive away with the licence. So since I was licensed at 16, I've been driving. I've had, uh, sorry, it is a farm, there's dogs, we've got a hand feeding 36 lambs at the moment, so it's full time. So the opportunity came up to, uh, to be a spokesperson for this road safety campaign, and I feel eminently equipped to do that because I've, I've lost too many good friends to road accidents, I've had too many close shaves myself, and it, uh, it's a really good message. It's, uh, everybody needs to calm down and think of it when they're on the road. What were some of the main messages that you were really keen to include in these new lyrics when reinvigorating the song for this campaign? I had the lyrics written for me. It was part of the campaign. And when I saw them, I thought, I totally understand why they've done this. And I'm always a little different about utilising a commercially successful piece of art to tune to support a campaign. But this, is, this is not flogging merchandise. This is trying to use a, 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 a recognisable thematic uh, that basically it, it all reeks of the truth. Uh, I know what I'm talking about. I've, I've done tens of thousands of hours on the road. I've driven Australia on those conditions exceptionally well. And when I read what they'd done with the lyrics, I thought, that, 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 I'm very happy. That, that makes sense. It, it, it gives a very important message in a very succinct manner in a very recognisable format. I love the clip that goes along with it of you getting in the car and, and you're singing along to these new lyrics in the car. Do you ever find that that happens to you, that you're in the unit, you're in the car, comes on the radio and you just have to sing along to your own song? It really does. It happens quite a lot now. And there's this reasonably extensive catalogue, and it's still both a thrill and a bit of a shock when you hear it being played. But my voice is very, very gravelly in this ads because we are in the middle of a massive lambing crisis. We'd recently acquired a mob of ewes, and we've decided that had next to no nutrition for the sort of three months prior to getting. We've had a lot of ewes die, and a lot of ewes walk off on the lamb. So we're doing sort of 20 hour days, and we should that keep them. I think it'll be a timeless gravel classic. It is a really important message. Too many people dying on it. I didn't realise that last year was our worst road toll ever. And I'm in Queensland, and I think the Bruce Highway is the most dangerous piece of tarmac in the developed world. Very rarely they go by without a fatality, and everybody just needs to take a breath. And as the ad, as the campaign says, give everybody room. It's actually not a bad life adage, full stop. Yeah, good girl. Come on, quick. Way out west, where the road trains crawl, a truck's blind spot. Yeah, you need to know, so remember, hang back. Keep your cool and give them space. 
the truck's turning left or even right, you can take up two lanes and may lose sight, so keep it a clear way. Trucking and a share in the road. La 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 la. La 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 la. Trucking and a share in the road. Remember, we all share the road and we all need space. So take it easy, stay alert, and get where you're going safely. That's James Bondell's road safety message that he's done in collaboration with the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, ending that story from Selena Green. That's all for Countrywide this week. Thank you for joining me. You can listen back anytime online or download the ABC Listen app. For more rural news, head to abc.net.au forward slash news forward slash rural to read more online. That's all from me. Talk to you next time. <laughs>